Hey, I'm Amanda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind Mapco at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542-6265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes. Specializing in metal parts, machining, and fabrication since 1960, Girding Enterprises has excelled in the machining process. A truly American company, Girding Enterprises has gone from one-man shop in a basement to a world-class machine shop with over 20 employees. We strive to uphold the highest level of quality while constantly improving our efficiency level in order to offer the most affordable prices to our customers. Visit us online at girdingent.com or give us a call at 636-274-9802. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Fit Nation. We are a show founded by a veteran and hosted by two veterans and a military spouse. Our mission is to get people to tell their story to the world. If you're an author, share your tips with Ms. Fitch. If you're a musician or actor, our audience needs to know how they too can get into the business. Coaches, we love our coaches. Come on and share some of your tips with the Misfit Nation to help them become better versions of themselves. If you're a corporate leader or an entrepreneur, come on and share how you did it and how hard you have fought for success. If you're a veteran, first responder, or Gold Star family, we would love to have you come on and just share your story with the Misfit Nation. We always have time for you. If you're feeling down, alone, or starting to see the darkness, stop. Think about those who are around you. You are not alone. You will be missed. If you feel like your problems will be a burden to those in your inner circle, or are embarrassed, dial 988. If you are a veteran, take option one. We need you to keep pushing forward. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, welcome to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps and also on our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the bell to keep you up to date with our latest episodes and all of our news. You can also find us on Heroes Media Group and About Face Radio. Now, let's get to the show. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to this live version of the Misfit Nation coming to you on About Face Radio and all our streaming social medias. And of course, uh, sponsored by Hero Media Group. Tonight, we have a good one. We have a retired U.S. Army Special Forces and now currently Chief of Business Operations for the National Medal of Honor Museum Foundation in Arlington, Texas, where they are building a three-pronged project that will have a museum, leadership institute, and a monument that will honor all the Medal of Honor recipients while inspiring future generations of Americans to understand leadership and love of country. So without further ado, let's bring Daryl up to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Daryl. How are you? Thank you. Thank you, Rich. I'd like to give a shout out to uh, to the Misfit Nation and to you, of course, and a huge, huge, huge congratulations. 2022 Top 40 Over 40 podcast, man. It's super impressive. I'm a huge fan. I love what you guys are doing. Love what you guys are up to. Love the support that you have for our veterans. I was listening to some of the ads before we went live here and uh, man, it's just so impressive, and it's it's an honor for me to be here, and and I can't wait to share little bits and pieces of my story. Hopefully, it'll help some uh, some folks out there. Outstanding, Daryl, and we we got to chat. I think it was about about a month ago. Now we finally we linked up a little bit. Uh, we did a little Zoom session there, and uh, we talked to each other, got to know each other a little better, and uh, you shared a lot of stuff with me there. And I'd love for you to share some of your background with the with the Green Berets, of course, and what the trials and tribulations you went through with them. And how we got to where we are now, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. I would love to love to start there. You know, I I entered the army in 1990. Um, came from humble humble beginnings in West Virginia. Um, 
entered the Army in 1990, spent a couple of years, actually about six years in the infantry. And then I transitioned over, uh, went through Special Forces Assessment and Selection at Fort Bragg and was fortunate enough to get uh, to get selected and, and went through the qualification course and spent about 10 years operational in uh, 10th Special Forces Group. I uh, got to see a lot of uh, got to see a lot of different countries, got to see a lot of action, um, about 10, 10 combat deployments, uh, several in the Balkans, uh, four four pretty big ones in Iraq. I was there in 03, 04, 05. I was also there in 06 and 07. A um, little bit strange, never had the opportunity to serve in Afghanistan. Uh, that didn't come, you know, the, the special forces groups are, are regionally aligned and, and our group wasn't uh, thrust into Afghanistan until a little bit later. But, um, but yeah, man, I, I was, I was operational for about 10 years. And uh, after that, I did my staff time and I had to kind of make up for all that cool guy time. And, <laughs> and I did my instructor time and, and did some staff time at Fort Bragg. And then, and then I retired, but definitely got to see a lot and got to serve with some, uh, some remarkable, uh, remarkable people. So I'm very honored and proud of that service. Definitely. And I'm sure, uh, the, the men that you were able to serve with and lead and also train as you, uh, as you move forward in your career are glad that they were able to run into you and, uh, and gl- uh, glean some of your knowledge. And also, of course you got some of theirs as well along the way. Uh, we were both in Iraq at the same time, three and four. So that's, that's another link we, we have with each other. So that's pretty cool as well. I was, of course, uh, I was in Ramadi, a beautiful, the rest of Ramadi, a beautiful place there. It was amazing. But uh, uh, Rich, beyond what, that. What unit were you with uh, in 03, 04? Uh, Big Red 1. I was with 1st Brigade, uh, oh, Brigade uh, 1st Infantry Division. I'm sorry. Okay. So, so we you, were at a Fort Riley. Yeah. So you got to see uh, Ramadi in that area before it really spiraled into what it became known for later. Is that yeah, right? we yeah we were there right when um the Blackwater dudes uh, got a uh, got ambushed and hung off the bridge just to our uh, our east there in Fallujah, and from there it spiraled out from that point forward in April. Yeah, I still remember that press conference. I can't remember the. I think it was a one star general. I can't remember his name, but they asked him a question about that incident, and he said, "We will pacify." It, whether it was Ramadi or Fallujah, I don't remember exactly which one, but I think it was maybe Fallujah. But it was Fallujah. Okay, he said we will pacify Fallujah, and I thought right. that was a very interesting statement. But yes, uh, <laughs> and, but yeah. and what that did was cause all them to come to us in Ramadi to hide from them. So we—that's how we wound up in the fight before they did. Yeah, yeah, I bet. So that I mean, that was a great uh, learning curve for me, especially uh, coming from a mechanized world to become light over there and doing that. Uh, I know you got to meet a, a lot of great people while you were in a 10th Special Force group and going into Iraq, of course, three times. And, of course, the Balkans. The Balkans uh, is something a lot of people don't even talk about because it, it got overshadowed after 9-11, what was going on there, what happened there with 96 on, I guess, 96 through 99. And uh, so it got, kind of got overshadowed. But you can talk to any dude or dudette that was there and say, man, it, it sucked. It was horrible there. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh... – you know, actually, it's funny that you say that because it, it's exactly right. And that was the only game in town before 9-11, you know, happened. Mm-hmm. You know, the Balkans, like if you were in the Balkans, like you were playing in the Super Bowl, that was the big dance. <laughs> right. And and there was a lot of uh, a lot of groups that wanted to get in. And, you know, I think uh, thinking back, we had one uh, operational detachment alpha. We had one ODA, one special forces team from fifth group. That was over there and i believe they were working for the they were working with the uae that happened to be in kosovo so that was kind of like their excuse like hey this is our partner force (laughs) and they're you know they're in kosovo so we need to be there with them and but that was all 10th group you know um so for me as a young guy just getting out of the q course and uh i was forward deployed I was in first battalion 10th group and and we were basically the 911 force uh for all of the things that was going on in the balkans because you know we were going to do the air war and then we weren't we were going to do the air war and every time that happened we got moved from stuttgart germany down to san vito italy and and we were on standby because we were going to be doing which we ended up doing during the air war combat search and rescue uh, which was kind of interesting um so 
you know, we were always just going back and forth, back and forth. And then, so that was, you know, I got the first battalion in 1998, late 1998. And then we started, you know, 1999, we were always gone and responding to something or, you know, I, I think remember President Clinton uh, at that time uh, did some kind of delegation, some kind of peace delegation in downtown Sarajevo. Yep. So we had a ginormous uh, special operations presence because uh, his motorcade went right down Sniper Alley, not just his motorcade, but all of the different heads of states. I think there was like 40 different heads of states. So, you know, we were there for that. We provided counter sniper security for President Clinton and all the other world leaders, uh, you know, being right there on Sniper Alley. It was kind of interesting, but, you know, constantly, you know, going to San Vito, combat search and rescue. And then uh, when the air war finally did kick off, uh, we had two two planes that got shot down and it was unfortunate for us, but fortunate for our brothers who we were rotating with. Both of those shoot downs happened on team B, you know, the other team. So they got to go in and, and get those pilots, um, you know, but it was interesting. It was, it was, you know, it was, it was the only thing going. So we thought it was a huge deal. And just like you said, man, as soon as 9-11 happened and then Afghanistan and Iraq kicked off, it was like, man, everybody forgot about Bosnia and Kosovo so fast. You could, you know, before you could blink your eye, man, all that stuff was forgotten. Exactly. It was kind of treated like Korea was between uh, World War II and Vietnam. Korea yeah. happened and Vietnam happened. What's the other war that happened? We don't know. And, yeah. you know, for you guys, it was Desert Storm, um, then Somalia, of course. So that was the last yeah. two big things, and then uh, and then the Balkans kicked off, and then of course not eleven and the twenty years uh, since then, twenty plus years now of constantly going and going and going and and uh, adding people to your new careers, walls and stuff inside there for the museum. Yeah, for sure, man. So when you you were in Ramadi, oh uh, three oh four, um, had you already been to Af Afghanistan? Like, how, what was your deployment? trajectory like was you were you iraq first and then you went to afghanistan or did you go back and forth what did that look like for you so on 9 11 i was already in kuwait when 9 11 occurred Holy so we went cow. from uh, i guess it was called operation southern watch at the time to uh to uh, uh the global war on terrorism within minutes uh so we went from having basically not even a basic combat load to uh, and having ice cream and all this great food to having a full combat load and mres for a while until they figured out what to do and how we can help those coming in and get them out to where they were going in Afghanistan. And uh, that was basically our mission were there. They rotated us back. And uh, this is the funniest part. We were in the desert, of course. We were trained up to be in the desert. They sent us back and uh, they sent us to NTC to get ready to go to the desert, which is uh, the weirdest thing I ever, ever did in my military career, I think. And then from there, uh, 2003, four in Iraq, and then 10, 11 in uh, Kandahar, Afghanistan, and 12 in uh, Kunar, Afghanistan. Wow. So, it's, so wow. I bounced. Uh, I went north after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely appreciate your service, Rich. I know you saw probably some, uh, like most people, you saw some very terrible things and uh, really appreciate your service. Uh, no problem. Same to you, brother. And uh, Yeah. And, I mean, you were able to transition pretty well after you uh, retired from the military, of course. Uh you held a, what one other career and then now where we are now. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about how you got to the museum. And then I'll play a clip of the museum for the audience to listen and uh, watch it as well. Okay. Well, don't laugh too hard because my first <laughs> post-military job, once I retired as a Special Forces Green Beret out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina, my first post-military job, I was a director of security at the Museum of the Bible. Oh. And yeah, I mean... And it was under construction, you know, $550 million facility, 430,000 square feet. And, and it was just one of those things I lucked into, uh, actually another green beret that used to work for me, uh, was the global director of security. And he was focused on board members and travel outside of the country and things like that. Excuse me. Um, but he needed a, uh, trusted number two that could be in DC and be there day to day for, for the Museum of the Bible once it opened. So uh, that was my first uh, introduction into the museum uh, vertical. And I learned quickly and as fast as I could. Uh, 
because I didn't know much about either topic, uh, to be quite honest with you. I didn't know that much, you know, about the Bible as far as like when you compare it to like PhDs and scholars and things like that. Like I didn't have that type of institutional knowledge. Uh, but there's some very, very sharp people um, that I work with for sure, no doubt. But, but you know, didn't know that much about museums, but I did know about security and I did know about keeping people safe and uh, protecting assets. So that was that was a good transition for me. I got to cut my teeth, uh, if you will. And then I eventually transitioned into operations, which was was perfect for me doing the day to day ops. Uh, it was similar to, to running an ODA and it's leadership 101 and taking care of people and making sure the job gets done. I mean, it's basic stuff, right? Uh, so then I transitioned over. I was a consultant for a while, still work with several different museums um, in the D.C. area and other parts of the country. So still maintain that part. And then that's what eventually led me down to, to Dallas, Texas uh, or the Texas area, North Texas. And in my role as a consultant is how I met Chris Cassidy, who is the um, president and CEO of the National Medal of Honor Museum Foundation. Uh, Chris is a unique guy. He's a former Navy SEAL. He's an MIT grad. He's a former chief NASA astronaut. Uh, we kind of have a joke, you know, he's like the classic underachiever, you know, because <laughs> uh, he's just done so much and he can definitely humble you with with his background and his career. But but in my capacity as a consultant, I met Chris and uh, I just I was very open and honest with him because I felt like we had a we had a bond, you know, Navy SEAL Green Beret. And I knew where he was coming from. He knew where I was coming from. Um, and I just said, hey, man, I, I'm not trying to pitch you or I'm not trying to get work out of you or anything, but I'm fascinated with the project. I'm passionate about it. Um, I, I have a lot of strong feelings uh, for what you guys are doing. And I would just like to share some lessons learned that I went through uh, when we were building the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And maybe some of my lessons learned can help you guys. And that was basically it, man. I, that was my message. And uh, and Chris and I continued to talk. And and then eventually one thing led to another. And he said, hey, man, we would uh, we would love to have you part of the team. Uh, if you're interested, you know, what do you what do you think? And I was like, man, I'm there. Count me in. So so that's kind of how everything uh, that's the background. That's how things started. And, and that's why I'm here. And I, I would also like to say this because I think it's important. You know, that first meeting that I had with Chris Cassidy, I shared with him two of my Medal of Honor recipient heroes, my superheroes guys that inspired me, guys that impacted my career. And that's Master Sergeant, two Delta Force snipers, Master Sergeant Gary Gordon and Sergeant First Class Randy Shugart um, received the Medal of Honor for their actions in Mogadishu, Somalia, which ultimately cost them their life. But that first meeting I shared with Chris, I was like, man, I was a 21 year old kid with just a couple years experience in the army. And um, when Mogadishu happened, that had a huge impact on me and, and it definitely inspired me. And, um, and I'm very thankful, um, that I was exposed to, to heroic, courageous men, you know, Master Sergeant Gary Gordon, Sergeant First Class Randy Shugart, cause they had such a huge impact on me. And I feel like in a very small, tiny way, I can say thank you every day that I work at the National Medal of Honor Museum Foundation. It's a way for me to say thank you to Gary Gordon and Randy Shugart because I could never tell you know I could never tell them that face to face because obviously they were killed in action. But uh, it's just a way for me to honor uh, their courage and their heroism and their sacrifice, and it, it means a great deal to me. And people ask me like, "Hey, why do you work there?" Well, that's my why right there, man. That's it. Definitely. And and when that incident occurred, that was my first week on active duty. So I got to Fort Stewart, and I had no idea what DRF was or what alert was. And we got alerted when this occurred, and to be the ready force to go forward. So I had no idea what that meant. And I, I was getting in trouble because I, I was drinking and being a, being a dumb specialist at the time and uh, doing things. And I learned quickly what it meant to be on DRF and be able to fly at a moment's notice and get all your shots and get on get to the airfield and fly out. 
and support our brothers and sisters that are downrange. And so yeah. that, uh, that also is linked to me there. And uh, those two uh, gentlemen, uh, they epitomize what it means to give all for others and uh, selfless service. And every, they did everything on the army values in one instance. They did it all and they, they, they laid down their lives so others may live. Uh, years later, uh, in 1999, I met uh, Michael Durant, who really? they saved, who they saved. And um, and that was a, a, an awe moment for me, but he was as humble as can be. And it was amazing to talk to him and knowing the history of what happened and him just being a normal human. And, the, you know, I was expecting a superhuman guy who made it through this, but he was just a humble man and talked to us like we were just regular guys. It was pretty cool, cool chance meeting. Yeah, man, I would I would love to be able to meet Mike Duran and be able to talk to him, you know, if, if he would be willing to talk about uh, any of those things. But um, but yeah, man, I mean, and, and what he like what he did and his crew um, on the 160th side, I mean, man, just special, special operators, special people and have a great deal of respect. And and, you know, I think they laid the groundwork for the success that several units, several individual individuals would have later on uh, during GWAT, you know, without a doubt, man, I, th I think they did a lot of the groundwork, you know, like the medical um, things. I mean, man, they, they definitely laid the groundwork and they probably saved countless lives. They definitely did. And I think we'll pause here to give an introduction to the museum and then we'll come back and we'll chat okay. about everything that's going on there. And so, I know this is your baby now, so we'll chat more about this in about two minutes and 33 seconds. All right, brother. In October 2019, Arlington, Texas was chosen to be the home of a new national museum, unlike any other. The National Medal of Honor Museum will be a unique home of military history. The 100,000 square foot museums will house exhibits, archives, and artifacts relating to the 3,500 U.S. troops who have been awarded the medal the nation's highest honor for valor in combat. The museum will have 31,000 square feet of galleries dedicated to U.S. troops who have received the award. The museum CEO, former Navy SEAL and NASA astronaut Chris Cassidy said the museum will focus on education as much as preservation. The building will have five areas dedicated to Medal of Honor winners from the Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, and Coast Guard. The main gallery will be located in a central plaza under a 25,000 square foot slab of steel, which will appear to be suspended in midair. It will be supported by five pillars. Black Rifle Coffee is a corporate sponsor of the museum, as are the Dallas Cowboys. The museum's board also includes over a dozen major corporations and six Medal of Honor recipients, including David Bellavia, Patrick Brady, and Britt Slabinski. Army Staff Sergeant Bellavia was awarded the medal for clearing an entire house by himself on November 10, 2004, as a squad leader in support of Operation Phantom Fury in Fallujah, Iraq. He killed four enemy fighters and wounded a fifth in close quarters battle. Army Major General Brady flew and coordinated the evacuation of 51 seriously wounded men during a firefight in Vietnam in January 1968. Slabinski, a Navy SEAL chief and team leader, led a rescue team of SEALs during Operation Anaconda in Afghanistan in March 2002. Slabinski and his team flew to a mountaintop ambush site to rescue Petty Officer First Class Neil Roberts, who had fallen from the back of a helicopter. Slabinski led the team through almost constant combat against an entrenched Taliban force. Along with the board members, former presidents Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama serve as honorary directors. The museum is expected to open to the public in late 2024. Strong video right there, and it's going to be huge. Like everything is in Texas is huge. You got to make it bigger than bigger than life in Texas. So, man, you say you say that, man. I got a big grin on my face right now because I'm 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 flashing back to last year. You know, I started working at the foundation in February of 2022, and we had our groundbreaking and on March 25th, which is Medal of Honor Day, National Medal of Honor Day. So we had groundbreaking March 25th of 2022, and I've been there for you know a month. And I mean, groundbreaking, dude, is literally a shovel in the dirt 
Right. And <laughs> as you said, everything's bigger in Texas. I mean, we had uh, um, former President Bush, you know, Bush 43 and his wife were at the at the groundbreaking. Uh, I think we had, gosh, 15 or 16 Medal of Honor recipients, which is which is really unheard of, man, because we only have 65 living Medal of Honor recipients. So when you can get more than like a handful uh, together in one place, it's it's like a miracle, you know, because, you know, they're so busy and, and some of them are are elderly. So it's, it's it's difficult for them to travel. But I mean, man, the amount of people that we had, um, it was just it was so inspiring. And and, you know, President, former President Bush, 43, his words were special. Uh, Chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, General Milley was there. Uh, Major General, uh, retired Pat Brady, Medal of Honor recipient of Vietnam, saved over 5,000 people. I mean, just like, just ridiculous to hear some of the things that, that these men did. So his, you know, anytime Major General Brady speaks, it's special. So man, you're right. Like it was, it was amazing. I don't even know what grand opening is going to be like. Uh, one, one change from the video, you know, we've been kind of working through our dates and we've had some delays and things like that. But, uh, um, that date for opening has been moved from late 2024 to early 2025. So it looks like we'll, we'll probably do a soft opening January, February of 2025. And then we'll have our grand opening uh, in March of 2025. So, so man, we're really excited about that, and and who knows how big that grand opening is going to be. But hopefully, hopefully, we get maybe the current president and some other um, past presidents, and it would be, and then some more recipients. Uh, it would just be a very, very special opening. It'd be amazing. You'll probably have the University of Texas marching band, Dallas Chef, Cowboy Cheerleaders, everything there, dancing and and playing their music for you. You might have some rock stars because it's Texas or country stars come out there as well. So I'm sure yeah. it'd be a big thing and it'd be hard to get tickets. So if, if you remember, just send me invite. I'll be there. <laughs> okay, brother. You bet, man. If I can do it, I will. Definitely. And you talked about your, the two guys who inspired you, uh, Shugart and Gordon. I think uh, in my early career, I think I had two first arms that had the same guy's picture on his, on their wall. And it was Roy Benavides. And uh, that dude was a beast. Mass arm Benavides. It, uh, shot up and kept fighting, kept fighting, and never never cared for anyone but his men and those around him. So that's what I was inspired by, along with Shugart and Gordon, of course, because that happened as soon as I came in the military. So it, there it is. Let me, let me show you this book here, uh, yeah. Legends. It's about Roy Benavidez, and uh, I don't know if I can pronounce the author's name correctly, but I'm a big fan of him, Eric Blyme. It's B L H M. How, how do you pronounce it? Do you know? I think it's bl I think it's blind. That's what I think what you said. Okay, okay, but yeah, this book is about Roy Benavides, and uh, you are correct, my brother. Roy Benavides, uh, call sign Tango Mike Mike. Uh, <laughs> man, he was a beast, and and I love his story. Um, I love everything about Roy Benavides, and. It's man, it is just so. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling uh, what he was able to do. You know, my son's uh, currently serving in the army, and for whatever reason, I don't know why, but uh, a couple days ago, he sent me. It, it wasn't the autopsy, you know, pictures, but it was like you would see like on a health, uh, some kind of health card or. A piece physical. of paper, yeah, like a physical, and it had you know like the front side of uh, of a male, and then the back side, and in the text message, it had all of the different wounds from that engagement. Uh, I think it was May of 1968 in Cambodia, uh, which is where Roy uh, ultimately received the Medal of Honor for his actions. I mean, heroic, heroic actions, unbelievable almost, but. Uh, the wounds that this man had, I mean, the amount of times he was shot, uh, the shrapnel wounds from grenades, RPGs, hand-to-hand uh, -hand fighting, uh, he was stabbed. I mean, this guy was shot, blown up, stabbed, uh, hit in the face with the buttstock of a, a AK-47. I mean, this dude experienced everything, and he continued to fight. And, 
man, what a what a story. And his background of where he grew up. I mean, he grew up poor. He was an orphan. Um, you know, was discriminated against, unfortunately. And the love that this man had for his country is just so impressive and off the charts. Um, he's a hero of mine. He's um, he's probably one of the recipients that I know more about, you know, because, I, you know, admittedly, I'm an operations guy. I'm a day to day <laughs> execution guy. I'm not like, you know, uh, we have Dr. Ed Lingle, you know, who's a Ph.D. and, um, you know, working on the exhibit team and working with the content. So we have really smart folks that do all those type of things. But but Roy is one of those guys I was able to dig in just because, you know, he's a former he's a former Green Beret. And, you know, what's so impressive about Roy, you know, obviously his action and, and what he did. I mean, and even if you know his story before <laughs> his Medal of Honor action, I mean, he was wounded so bad in Vietnam that they said he would never walk again. So he right. had to teach himself to walk before he even went through Special Forces Assessment and Selection and the Qualification Course to earn his Green Beret. I mean, that I mean, that's just I mean, story after story. But, you know, another thing that's so amazing and impressive about Roy for me are the things that he did after he received the Medal of Honor and all of those different speaking engagements that he did with young kids and explaining courage and sacrifice and commitment and integrity and citizenship and patriotism, those six values inherent in the Medal of Honor and the Medal of Honor recipients. I mean, he just passed on all of those stories and and he's just, man, he's just a remarkable man. And we are fortunate at the foundation uh, that Roy, you know, he's he's been passed several years now, but um, but his family's still involved and, and they're still, you know, they come up to the construction site. They do tours. Uh, his grandson was uh, was able to go through the preview center. And uh, it's man, it's so awesome that that they're still involved in the project because, you know, they're Texas folks. So uh, it's an honor to be able to, to meet them and hang out with them for sure. Definitely. And uh, there was, I know there was a, a group of people that really wanted uh, the home of special forces to be named after him instead of a uh, change to Fort Liberty, whatever it is now, it should have been named into Fort Benavides at Fort, uh, Fort Bragg there. But so Didn't. that would have been, that would have been the cherry on the top of the cake there. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get that, man. Didn't get that for sure. And I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of um, people that are, you know, that that should have those honors and things like that. But I mean, him being from the Texas area, I was thinking maybe Fort Hood yeah. could be a possibility. Uh, definitely Fort Bragg, because I'm the Fort Liberty thing. I'm lost on that. And I was just at uh, this past week. I was just at Fort Bragg. And uh, although there were a few things that I saw that said Fort Liberty, but there were still signs up that said Fort Bragg. And yeah. I wasn't expecting that, man. I thought it was all <laughs> going to be down. Actually, one of like the, the main entrances still had the, you know, that stereotypical brown Fort oh, yeah. Bragg, <laughs> home of the airborne special ops, all that stuff that you typically see, like with a news reporter having that in the background. Like I still saw one of those entrances and, and I was kind of blown away. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, man. For the first time, I got to go to the uh, Airborne and Special Operations Museum in Fayetteville. I feel like, you know, kind of a, you know, I feel a little silly because I, man, I retired out of Fort Bragg. I was there probably <laughs> longer than any other duty location that I was ever stationed at. I was probably there eight years or more. And and I don't think I never got over there, but uh but it was cool, man. I got to to go over there and spend some time, my wife and I, and checked out the museum. And they had a special display honoring the uh, the ODA, the horse soldiers from Fifth Group. Uh, so that was cool, man. I got to see that. I think Jack Britt High School helped them do a little temporary exhibit. So that was really neat that that, that story is still being told, which I'd like to give you another compliment, Rich, for what you're doing here. Um you know, you have a platform, uh, a, a very, very successful platform, and you're allowing folks to come on the show and talk, you know, veteran stories and 
veteran inspiration, uh, veteran leadership, all these different types of thing, uh, things. And I think it's, it's critically important because, you know, this generation, they're listening to these, these podcasts and there's other veterans that might be struggling that are listening to these podcasts. So I think, uh, I, you know, I have a lot of respect for what you're doing and what your show's doing and, and every little bit of success that you have, man, I'm, I'm so proud of you and, and you deserve it. And I hope that you're able to continue doing this because the message needs to get out and, you know, these stories need to be heard so they're not forgotten. And, and I remember growing up, you know, I'm 51 now, so I'm going to, I'm a little aged here, but, (laughs) you know, I grew up and I read, you know, I read books on the Vietnam war and LERPs and Rangers and things like that. Well, I think it's a little bit different for this generation. I think this generation, they're listening they're on their phones and they're on their laptops and they're, they're listening to podcasts and they're hearing these stories and maybe, man, it would, wouldn't it be nice or wouldn't it be, you know, icing on the cake, I guess, if, if they hear a couple old guys like you and you and me, and we're talking <laughs> about stories, Iraq, Afghanistan, and, and maybe it inspires them like, Hey, you know, maybe I should go serve, or maybe I could do that. Yes. Maybe there's opportunity for me. So, I just want to kind of give you a, a huge shout out for that, Rich. I think that's really special what you're doing, man. And and my hat's off to you. I appreciate that, Daryl. And uh, I, you said something good there to get them to serve. And I know a lot of them might not be able to serve in the military and uh, because of whatever factors they might have in their lives, but they can still serve in their communities. Our communities need a lot of building as well now. And I, we've all seen this over the last uh, what, four years now, I guess, how our country is kind of splintered, splintered across the, the middle there. And the way to fix that is in the community. If these young uh, men and women growing up, coming through high school, if they can't serve the military or they don't want to serve, maybe they can serve the community and maybe volunteer and help other kids out to, to see that there is a better path in life than doing bad things. And if we can help one and uh, share, to reach one, teach one, that'd be amazing. Yeah, man, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Yeah, so you said earlier that uh, it was uh, Sugar Gordon or the two that pop into your mind the most. Uh, what are the living ones or uh, living Medal of Honor recipients have you got to meet that really impressed you the most? Yeah, so I've I've had a chance to meet uh, several uh, Medal of Honor recipients, and and one thing that I constantly tell the staff they're probably so tired of me saying it, but um, you know we are so fortunate to to work on the staff at the National Medal of Honor Museum Foundation uh, that we get to to associate with you know, our nation's greatest heroes. And and it's like, I have to pinch myself sometimes. And I tell the staff all the time, they're probably tired of me saying it, but I'll say it again. I spent 26 and a half years in the United States army. Most of that, you know, was in special forces. I was only ever around one living medal of honor recipient. And that was uh, Mac B Sog legend, Bob Howard. I mean, absolute, another beast. Um, and I believe he might have been put in for a couple of medal medals of honor, um, but this this man Bob Howard was was a legend, and and he was at one of our functions, and and yes, I got to see him, but it, you know everyone was like, stay away from him, don't talk to him, don't ask him for pictures, don't ask him for autographs, just let that man do his you know five or ten minute speech, and then you know he's he's gonna he's gonna get on out of there, but. Um, but I, I just tell that story. It's like, man, we, you know, I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to sit down a couple times with Britt Slavinsky, uh, still team six uh, medal of honor recipient from Afghanistan and, and just have lunch, at, you know, as a staff, like, Hey, Britt's going to come and he's going to spend some time with us and, uh, and talk to the staff because, you know, Britt, like all the other recipients, they're very appreciative of, of the hard work and everything that we do. Cause you know, to be frank, man, it's it's not easy to build a museum, and there's so much that goes into it—the fundraising, and there's there's just a lot that goes into it—the construction, especially now with how things have been kind of going with the economy and escalation, all that type of stuff, supply chain. It, it's kind of a tough time, but um, the recipients are so appreciative, and and Brett, you know, Brett just is like, hey, man, I just want to come in and have lunch with you guys, break bread. And, you know, the staff's asking him questions and he'll pass out his coin. Uh, it's it's always a treat for me, uh, Rich, to, to spend any time with Major General Retired Pat Brady. 
because uh, he's just such a legend and uh he's he's probably got the uh wittiest sense of humor um you know i was listening to to one of the podcasts uh with general brady and one and our former ceo joe daniels and um and joe daniels had asked general brady like hey tell me about like one of your heroes and he started talking about one of his crew chiefs like a 21 year old kid from you know <laughs> vietnam that flew with general brady and general brady was like man this this guy was shot was knocked out landed in a minefield ran through the minefield rescued people like he did all of these things um and then eventually you know years and years later uh, general brady said he was watching his uh, san antonio spurs get ready to win the nba championship and this guy's family had called and said, hey, I think his name was Pappy. That was his nickname. But he's like, hey, Pappy's on his deathbed and uh, he's getting ready to pass. And and he wants you to take care of all the, the funeral arrangements, burial and all that stuff. And um, I'll jump ahead and give you the Reader's Digest version. But <laughs> but but General Brady, he, he makes a joke. He's and I forgot the part of Kentucky that Pappy had lived in and, and where he eventually got buried. But General Brady had made a comment. It's like, man, they don't even speak English in this part of Kentucky. It was so hard to make all these arrangements. But, you know, he's able to, to provide that type of humor. And uh, and he often, you know, kind of makes jokes and, and, you know, at himself. And he's just, man, he's just so witty. Uh, Will Swenson, uh, another Afghanistan Army uh, Medal of Honor recipient, is another guy that, that blows me away because... I mean, the dude is just so sharp. He's he's on our board. Jack Jacobs, another member of our board, another guy that's man, extremely, extremely bright and smart. But um, uh, Flo Groberg, uh, I know that there's you know you know a Flo or you've you've been in that unit, and and I hope that that you have an opportunity to talk a little bit about Flo because I think it would be interesting. But I've only I've I've been around him a couple of times. He's probably one of the most powerful speakers that we have. Uh, he's got a very compelling story, you know, coming here from France and and joining the army and and serving uh, serving his country and things like that. And um, you know, I haven't really had a chance to sit down and talk with Flo, um, but I have. You know, I, I've met him. I've been around him a couple of times. Uh, I've read his book. Uh, eight seconds of courage i would highly recommend to the misfit nation out there uh if you want to read a book uh you should check out flo's book but but rich i would love to hear uh maybe some background or some stories uh from flo and and tell us your experiences and how your paths have crossed uh with a real live uh medal of honor recipient man yeah so i i met flo in uh, 2012 uh, uh, he was already in country, and we fell under his brigade headquarters. So he was the PSD for uh, the brigade commander and Sergeant Major Griffin and all their their team, basically. So when we came, we got to Cop Fortress, and we were an SFAT team advising our, our Afghan unit there. And they came to visit us pretty much weekly. And every time they came, me and him would just—I was the team sergeant, so I'd walk away and want to sit in the meetings. So I'd sit and talk with him. And learn more about him and the, everyone that was in the unit knew him and knew great things about him from his previous tour. And they would, he would talk about his time uh, running running track and field. And he was a great runner, an amazing runner. And he was probably could have stayed in that path instead of going to the military, instead of doing what, uh, making that sacrifice for himself. But the thing that stood out to me most was after I got wounded uh, June 19, 2012, him and Sergeant Major Griffin were the first two people to come visit me. How did you, if you don't mind me asking, Rich, if you're comfortable with it, but how did you get uh, wounded there in June? Uh, I was, we were on, on the cop maybe a, a week or so, uh, finally gotten our operations going, and uh, we went on a mission up into the Davidoff Valley, basically the same valley where Mike Murphy earned his uh, Medal of Honor as well. So same valley, and we were told don't stay out there more than 90 minutes. And our partner really? force, yeah, because if 90 minutes is when they're able to zero in on you and they'll come get you, They'll start attacking you. So exactly 90 minutes, the first RPG came down, hit the wall behind us. So we started to back out our huge vehicles to get them out of there. We rode back to Cop Fortress, and all they did was go across the mountain to line up above us. 
and we were getting out of our vehicles and mortars started falling. So there was a volley of about six to eight. Uh, they hit a two, two civilian works that were on, a, on the cop, and a couple soldiers got knocked out. We called in medevac, and the Apaches came in and gave us cover for a while. Once that last Apache flew out, it started flying away. They launched again. We were giving it all clear. My medic, it was his first time in combat. He said, sorry, I want to talk to you because he helped those two civilians. He, he saved our lives. And he, I said, all right, man, good job. I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, great job, brother. And the mortar, a mortar hit right behind me. Went through my left leg, the back of my left leg out the front. I didn't feel it because, you know, adrenaline hits. Once you heard a boom, the adrenaline goes up. I didn't feel it. He looked down and he was a... He was from uh, from uh, Latin America there, so he was kind of very tan, and he turned kind of pale at this point. He's like, sorry, you're bleeding. I said, go help somebody else. <laughs> so I took out my tourniquet, went in, put that on, and went uh, went inside, and my lieutenants that were in there, they uh, caught me down. They cleaned it up, and then they fixed up my bandage, and I sat there, and they finally made a, a, a the SF guy that was there, a medic, came up to me later and said, hey, Sarn, you know what gangrene is? I said, yeah. He said, do you want it? I said, no. And get on the medevac bird. So, well, well, damn. All right. So, I got on the medevac bird. I flew to JBAD, had surgery. First time I had the Army did surgery on me. It was my goal in life never to have surgery from the Army. And I, I lost that goal right there. And I came out uh, out of my loopiness. And it was those two were the first two to visit me. And the, uh, Sergeant Major Griffin told me I had the million dollar wound. I said, No, Sergeant Major, I didn't get shot in the ass. I got hit in the knee. He said, No, but you get a free license plate for life. I saw I said, there's a bonus. <laughs> and Flo just said, I'm glad glad you're still up, brother. And uh, I'll see you back on the cop because they knew I wasn't going to get evac. They, they knew that was my final stop. I was going back out. And that does lift my spirits right there, knowing that those two came in to help me, to help lift me back up after I was probably at my lowest moment there. Man, that says a lot. And, you know, I think there might be some listeners, uh, especially if you have some non-military listeners that they don't, they might not fully understand or comprehend the kind of the dark, there could be some like dark military humor amongst the brother and sisterhood, you know, that, that maybe some people don't get, but you and I definitely get man, for sure. Yes. I'll never forget what the, the SF medic said to me or what Sergeant Major said to me. And then uh, of course, uh, I think it was like four days before the incident or three days before the incident, they were on our cop and uh, it was late at night. So me and him were outside by the, uh, the LZ and we were talking to the, each other and then a couple of the Afghan uh, NCOs that were out there. And we just had a great conversation, me flowing them and uh, talking about how we lead and how they should lead and stuff like that and trying to push them to greatness. And then that was the last time I got to speak to them in country before the incident on uh, August 8th. Wow. So uh, can you tell a little bit about that incident? Um from what I understand or what I recall from, from the book, I, I believe Sergeant Major Griffin was killed is that right yes he was he was uh, yeah. one, of the, one of the four killed that day it was him uh two majors and a u.s aid worker that were killed but you know, what happens was they would land on, on the base I, I can't remember the cop i can't remember the cop right now that they land at and they would always walk across this uh, footbridge basically the same path every time so when they came across uh, he noticed the first thing was a uh, suspicious uh, flow and he went and he ran towards him he jumped on, of course, and detonated and messed up. His leg got destroyed, basically, in that in that incident. At the same time, a second one was coming from the other side and detonated as well and took out basically the rest of the formation, uh, killing the SAR major, the two majors, and the U.S. aid worker. Uh, and my actual brigade commander here from Fort Campbell was also uh, wounded. And basically, his leg was shattered, too, at the same, at the same incident because he was part of that same uh, patrol walking in there. So we, we lost a lot of great people on that day. And Flo and his team, uh, they did everything they were supposed to do that day. But sometimes you, you, you're either the bug or the windshield that day. They will happen to be the windshield. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough, but definitely heroic. I mean, to think about, you know, suicide bomber and what you're going to do. I mean, that's a tough one, man. That's a tough one. And and what flow did i mean just man heroic just totally heroic and if he wouldn't have been there and if he wouldn't have done that i'm sure that our our killed in action would have probably been a lot higher man it would have been horrific it probably been the biggest uh biggest loss because there was so many higher ranking people in that formation it would have been a huge loss that day and uh his actions saved more than just the 
his principle, what everyone else that was in that formation had lived. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something that general Brady talks about all the time. It's like, yeah, you can, you can be this or that, or this great, um, athlete or, you know, police officer, whatever it is, but you really got to be for it all to matter at the end of the day, for it all to matter, you got to be a great human, uh, as well. Exactly. And I think, uh, that's definitely Flo Groberg for sure. Yeah. He was a hundred percent lovable dude. And, uh, all his soldiers that were in his, I think it was his platoon, uh, two years ago or two years prior to that in Iraq, I believe it was, they all spoke highly of him as well. They all, they all spoke highly of him. Everyone that was in the unit we were with, we were with uh, Charlie Company, and then of course their FET team that was with us. They all thought he was like the, the bee's knees, the best dude in the world. So that's a testament to him and a testament to his family and upbringing. So that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know another uh, another Medal of Honor recipient uh, that I'm really really impressed with. I mean, I'm impressed with all of them, but. Uh, Kyle Carpenter, Marine yeah. Corps Medal of Honor recipient. Uh, man, that guy, he is such a humble dude. Um, and he's got that South Carolina twang, you know. Yes. Uh, such a great dude. I mean, gosh, I just have a ton of respect for him. And and I wish I could remember the exact name of his book. I read, I did read his book. And no, I listened to it on audio. That's probably why I don't remember the title. But um the things that that man went through, I mean, man, he didn't, he almost didn't make it, man. I mean, he yeah. came really close. So, um, yeah, man, we, we definitely have some heroes. Uh, we have some great stories and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be exciting to be able to share their stories with the rest of the country because, you know, if I'm a guy and I'm in the army for 26 and a half years and I've <laughs> only ever been around one, just kind of like barely, Right. And you know, there's so many people out there across the country that have never even been exposed to to a recipient. So, exactly. so we hope to change that uh, in March of 2025. And and I would like to ask you, Rich. Uh, hopefully, I don't put you on the spot here. <laughs> but if you were in Arlington, Texas, and a museum, the National Medal of Honor Museum, is open would this be something that would attract like maybe you and your family and your friends that you would want to take them to? Um, could you maybe talk that piece or, or what expectations would you have, or maybe what would you share? Would you want to pass some stories? Maybe you'd, you'd want to talk about your interactions with Flo and, and what that meant to you or Roy Benavidez. I mean, um, just kind of tell me like what, would that be something that you would you would like, man, I have to go there. If I'm going to be in Arlington, Texas or around that area, I have to go to this museum. And this is why. Oh, definitely. That's, a, that's an easy question for me. As I told you in our pre-call, my wife's a history teacher. And so this is right up her alley. And every museum is her alley. So like you were talking about earlier with the Fort Bragg sign, the brown sign. If you're driving down the road, you see a brown sign. It says uh, this marker here. Our car is going from the left lane off the exit to go to this go to that area just to check it out, even if it's something obscure like the biggest ball of twine or whatever. But we're there. But for this here, the Medal of Honor, this is something that I think every American should find their way to Arlington somehow. I mean, I know right now uh, travel is expensive, but if you're in that area, there's no reason not to go there. There's plenty of ways to get there. If you if you wind up in the DFW area, uh, that's the best place to go. And what I would expect to see in there is a great uh, – is a I don't think it would be – it doesn't have to be perfect, but an awesome display of each individual as as they were recorded, as their history was recorded by those who were there with them if they lost their life in, in battle, and then the story about them either prior to and then, of course, during the battle. And, of course, pictures, maybe something that would highlight what they who they were prior to that and then what they were that day. I think those are the things I love to see in museums that is the real thing is to see – how that person acted when it was that at their most, uh, I guess their utmost time in life. Cause like, if you look at Clint Rumishaw, Ty Carter, when you're in Afghanistan, the battle there at the, at the cop, there, combat outpost, those two didn't know what that day when they woke up, they knew to run a fight. And all they did was what they knew how to do. They went in there and they took care of business. They tried to save lives. Uh, Rumishaw uh, gathered up the, the red platoon and did what he had to do. 
Carter was running around like a, I guess a, a crazy man with his hat head on fire. He did what he had to do. Not none of them do this for the medal. They do it for their fellow brother, their sister that's next to him. And that's the story I think, like you said earlier, which should inspire those who have not thought of serving, but now maybe they will because they see that's what they'll get to serve with. Yeah, it's interesting that you you mentioned Red Platoon. That is probably by far, man, um, one of my favorite, favorite top military books is Red Platoon, Clint Romache, and um, and the actions there. I mean, just the way that book was written, it's just a, man, just a powerful, powerful book. Um, and, man, it's hard for me to read, you know, some, some of the military books that are out there because it's just – you know, I guess I'm a tough critic, but but Red Platoon is probably one of the favorite books. But I wanted to kind of hit up on something, touch on something that you said there with like some of these stories and the inspiration. And, and I think that's what we're definitely after is, is the stories. And if you talk to the recipients and you ask them like what they really want out of this museum, they want the educational piece. You know, they definitely want people to learn and 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 hear about the values that I mentioned earlier courage, sacrifice, commitment, integrity, citizenship, patriotism. You know, I think there's a lot of people across the country that are probably saying that, you know, our, our youth uh, in the schools and, and even some of the older kids in college aren't really getting uh, that type of education or they're not getting those values and those character traits. And if people can come to the museum and maybe pick up some of those, I mean, because these are ordinary people that did extraordinary things probably on the worst day of their life. So if you're there and you're a firefighter or you're there and you're a nurse or a teacher, or, you know, you're there as a husband or a father, or a mother, you know, hopefully that you can pull and extract from some of these stories of these normal people that did these extraordinary things. And you can kind of pull bits and pieces of how they did it. Um, and I think that's very powerful. And and one thing too, like um, on the technology piece, you know, we're gonna it's gonna be a high tech museum. I don't know if you've ever been to like a Holocaust museum, Rich, yeah. where they have like the uh, the Holocaust survivors that are virtual right. or holograms. Uh, we are gonna have virtual uh, Medal of Honor recipients that wow. are holograms. So if you if you show up rich with your family friends whatever it might be and and you want to have a conversation uh with major general pat brady uh he will be one of the, the virtual recipients by the way uh if you want to have a conversation with him and ask him what it was like serving in vietnam or how many people he rescued uh was he married what was his favorite food i mean you can ask him all of those things like you and i are having a conversation right now so it's that's going to be fascinating and, uh, you know, another thing about the exhibit deck, um, you know, it's not going to be chronological. It's not going to start from the Civil War and then work all the way up and eventually conclude at GWAT with Iraq and Afghanistan. It's going to be a biography museum. It's going to be about the story. So exactly what you talked about, Rich, where you want to hear, like, you know, it's great to hear the story and the action and what they actually did. But I think people really want to dig a little deeper and find out what kind of person this was before. Like, you're going to learn that this wasn't superhero. Like, this person didn't have a cape, you know? They, I, I've listened to David Bellavia, a Medal of Honor recipient from Iraq. Um, you know, I've listened to his story and some of the things, his trials and tribulations. And uh, he talked about an incident where um there was someone that 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 robbed their house and and in the heat of the moment he really couldn't act he he was he was a little bit scared and he he really doubted himself over that whole incident because he could have been the hero for his mom and dad and, and rescued the family but you know there was like a point there where he just he just couldn't do it but man you know, you fast forward several years later to Iraq and uh, and he answered the call. But I think it's going to be fascinating, like you said, though, Rich, for people to be able to hear these stories 
of like, man, what was this person like before they entered the service and they did this heroic thing? They're going to find out that they were a normal person or like, hey, let's find out what this person did afterwards. Like what have recipients really done for this country? And I think a lot of people, they don't really understand. Like, I, man, admittedly, I've flown my whole adult life, man, my whole adult life. I've flown in and out of Chicago O'Hare so many times. I did not know that that airport was named after a Medal of Honor recipient. I feel like an idiot, but, but it is, now you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's like Teddy Roosevelt, Medal of Honor recipient. I mean, all of the things that he did, I mean, there's just so many different things. Uh, and, and I think it is going to be very educational. It's going to be very inspiring. And I'm excited for it, man. I'm, I'm really excited for it. I think, uh, you know, this is bipartisan. Uh, it transcends politics. And this is, uh, this is a museum about us as Americans and the fabric of our country. And I think it's super important. And uh, we're just really, really excited to be able to share it with the rest of the country. I can't wait to hopefully get down there and see the construction, then of course see the opening and uh, see how this comes together. I think it's going to be amazing. I think every everyone who has a chance should get down there and see it. And of course, there's plenty of other things to see in Arlington, a lot of historical things in Arlington and the greater Dallas area you can clump in, if you're especially if you're a history, history person, history buff, you don't have to be a Cowboys fan because I am not. So you can go down there as a Giants fan, wear your Giants hat and go down there and hang out and see all this history and everything that's in the making there. This is amazing, Daryl. I've had a great time chatting with you and learning more about this. How does someone get involved and maybe be able to donate to the museum to help you guys uh, get over the hump and maybe keep it operating and maybe just find out more about it? Yeah, man, we definitely uh, we definitely would be very happy to, to get some more donations. We're, uh, we're still working hard on the fundraising. We have a fundraising team that is top notch. They're just out of this world. Uh, still looking for donations, still looking for friends. You can go to mohmuseum.org uh, and learn more about us. Uh, you can you can get in there and see how to donate and, and help us out. That would be great. You can learn more about us. Uh, please follow uh, the National Medal of Honor Museum on all the different social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. Um, I'm just now getting all of my social medias up. Uh, <laughs> So if you want to follow me on LinkedIn, you can. I'm on Twitter now. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I believe I'm on YouTube. Um, but and I'm doing I'm doing some podcasts to try to, you know, that was one of the things, Rich, that I learned from the Museum of the Bible. Uh, no matter how much money you were spending to build a museum, which back then we were spending five hundred fifty million dollars uh, building a Bible museum in the nation's capital. You would think everybody and their brother would know, but that was one of the things I learned, man. And I'm trying not to repeat the same mistake. Uh, always do your best to get the word out, man. I mean, if, if you're doing a podcast, a small podcast, medium, a big one, small audience, big audience, if you can just reach a couple of people and they tell their friends about it, that has a huge impact because uh, you can't just be complacent and rest you know, you just can't rest and be like, oh, people will find out about us. I mean, you right. always got to be out there getting the message out. But but you can follow me on social. I post a lot about the museum, post a lot of pictures, post some videos. I'll be posting some stuff early this week. And uh, we would just love to have people involved and be interested. And uh, you can also go to the website and uh, and volunteer. I mean, we, we need volunteers. We have a lot of different events. So uh, we couldn't be happier to to welcome you to our team and uh, man, all the support out there. We we are just deeply appreciative. Outstanding, Daryl. Any last uh, last shout outs to anyone or any advice you'd want to give some youngster coming up that wants to join the military? Man, I have three three very simple rules for the youngsters out there if you want to be successful. And here they are, and they're simple. Don't laugh work hard, be humble, don't quit. And that served me well, man, from a small town, West Virginia kid, work hard, be humble, don't quit. And I would like to, uh, 
to say to maybe some of our veterans uh, or first responders that might be hurting out there, I will say this, you know, we talk a lot about courage at the Medal of Honor Museum and, and a lot of people kind of put it in, in one category, but I will say this uh, for our folks out there that might be hurting. It takes a lot of courage to ask for help. If you're hurting or if you have a problem, alcohol, pills, whatever it might be, depression, marriage, whatever, man, uh, it takes a lot of courage to raise your hand and say, Hey man, I'm hurting. I need some help. Uh, we have a, we have a suicide, uh, problem that's man, it's just tearing our, our veterans up and, and others first responders as well. So man, it takes courage to, to ask for some help. You know, there's people out there that could help you. We just need to know about it, reach out and, um, you know, we'd love to help you. Outstanding. Daryl, again, thanks for sharing your, your history with us, your, your journey, and what, we're, what are you doing now at the National uh, Medal of Honor Museum? Uh, like I said earlier, I can't wait for to go down and visit, see maybe the before and then the, at the after opening. So I get two two peaks at it. That'd be great. Just you got an open there. invite, Rich. Open invite, brother. Thanks, brother. And uh, stay in touch. Take care. All right, brother. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. It's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling because we are 